0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Long Finish. I'm your host, Tug Coker, and I'm here as always with my wife and co-host, Catherine Weil Coker. How are you doing tonight, Catherine?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: Doing great. One week off from The Long Finish, a little one-week respite for us to charge up. For the rest of summer, lots to talk about, actually. Got a fun wine tonight, and then we'll talk about what it's been like to be open at Esters for five years. Celebrating the five-year anniversary of the opening of Esters tonight. And to do that, we wanted to go sparkling, but maybe a little twist on what we think of sparkling wine. So what are we drinking tonight?
1: tonight we are drinking an insanely delicious wine this is opera 02 it's lambrusco di modena non-vintage sparkling red wine from emilia romagna in italy so so delicious
0: i'm sure a lot of you out there know what lambrusco is but if you don't this will be a fun little intro into lambrusco i don't think i knew about it you know 10 years ago Maybe I did, but I certainly wasn't into it, and we've had a few Lambruscos over the years that have been wines that we've loved.
1: Absolutely. Well, we'll get kind of get into that when we talk about Lambrusco, why it was popular, and then it wasn't, and then it was. But in the meantime, we're just going to sit here and enjoy this and talk to each other about uh, life, family, Yeah, a little change stuff.
0: Yeah, this is episode 43. Did I mention that? You did not. Episode 43 of The Long Finish. Thank you to everyone for joining us. If you have an opportunity to rate, review, and subscribe to our show, we'd love to hear from you. It means a lot to us to see you all out there giving us a little rating and review and a subscription. So if you have a chance to do that, we'd appreciate it. going to do a little change of the itinerary. We're going to do a little recap of what's going on with us, and then we'll get into the wine first. And then we'll, for the dessert portion of the episode, we'll talk about what it's been like opening Esters and running it for five years.
1: Sounds good, babe. Let's do it. So, well, I'd like to return to our bedtime rating tonight oh, wow. yeah, because it's been a while. yes, it's been a while and we had kind of a, a woof tonight.
0: We have a new development is what's happening.
1: I hope we don't have a new development, but I'm nervous that we do. Let's just say the 21 almost 21 month old jumped out of his crib tonight after he was put down to bed twice. And that's nothing any parent ever wants to see. First of all, I would prefer that our kids stayed in the crib till they're, you know, at least 16. But six would be fine too. You know, anything. 21 months is unacceptable. There's no rationalizing. There's no Talking about how important it is to be safe in your bed. It's just wildness. So I hope that this is not a new trend, but it kind of gave our bedtime a really solid 2.5.
0: 2.5 is pretty low. I mean, well,
1: I, think- I will also say, on top of that, anytime we have couscous for dinner, the <laughs> bedtime. <laughs> Is below a five? Yes, it's just brutal. I mean, I don't even know why we eat couscous. It's such a why. giant mess, but it's so easy. That's exactly right. And the kids love it. And it was went so well with this dinner that we had tonight. Like this, oh, this chicken thighs with a white wine and mustard sauce. It was just wonderful. And then while you're eating it and watching them eat it, eat it. You're like just oh. Somehow, why? Why did we choose What's the ratio
0: of the couscous that goes in the 20-month-old mouth versus what goes into his bib slash pants?
1: I would say 20% is in the mouth. (laughs) I would agree. 80% is... On his pajamas. And we do, we do bath now before dinner, which is always a giant mistake on a couscous night because then you redo the pajamas after dinner because there's couscous stuck all over them. <sighs> anyway, I'm, I, I just want to say it was a solid 2.5.
0: Well, yeah, it was tough, compounded by the fact that I decided to take them to the beach this afternoon our domestic engineer brando sometimes takes them to the beach and he, they come home perfectly clean like, untouched by sand it's I amazing I, it yeah happened. who knows um,
1: maybe if they don't really go to the beach so, they like do a drive
0: so i'm like we're gonna do a, what brando does we're gonna go to the beach and the boys are like sure let's do that so i make the mistake of not packing any bathing suit attire and no change of clothes and I luckily come back after I put them in the car to come back and get one towel. And, of course, as soon as we go to the beach, Santa Monica Beach, you know, we beeline towards the water. I'm asking a four-year-old and a 20-month-old politely to not go in the water. And, of course, we spend the next hour just splashing around in the water with our, <laughs> with our one set of clothes. And then as soon as they're done having fun, it becomes absolute meltdown city. I'm calling Catherine ahead of time, being like, have this bath ready now. <laughs> oh Open the gosh. gate. We're running in. It was like an emergency. It was like a fire department. So
1: We did get them pretty calm once they were here, but I, I don't want to look at those car seats. They yeah. are an absolute atrocity.
0: Oh, yeah. Sand everywhere. Oh you no, know, I didn't even think gosh. about that. So, yeah, this whole buildup of a day, which is which is your day off. You know, before
1: that, and actually now I'm returning again to having a fabulous day. And before that, it was a fabulous day as well. Just enjoyable. Had fun with Quinn in the morning on a walk. Read my book. You know, like, it was a nice chill day.
0: Yes. Well, speaking of chill, should we talk about some wine? Let's do it. You said earlier this year that chilled reds would be all the rage. That's proven to be true.
1: Oh my gosh, you can't keep them in stock. People are obsessed. But sparkling red is different.
0: Can we get people there?
1: Some people you can get there, but some people not. People want to drink sparkling wine or they don't. They have a thing for it or they're like turned off by it. Is it's it a mood? Not the si- I don't know if it's a mood or some people are like, oh, it gives me acid reflux. doesn't for me. I don't know. I love sparkling. It just is like more excitement in my mouth. But some people not so much. But Lambrusco is pretty much the oldest sparkling red wine around. And Lambrusco is the name of the grape, but also the region that it's coming from. So you're talking about a place and a grape at the same time. And the place is primarily Emilia-Romagna in Italy. There's one tiny little spot in Lombardy where... They make Lambrusco as well, but mostly we're talking about Emilia Romagna. And Lambrusco, I've read a couple different things. There are four main varieties of Lambrusco. There are eight that kind of come up occasionally, but apparently there are like 60. Not all used for grape growing, but there are a lot. And it is one of the oldest grape varieties. I mean, it dates back to BC, the Bronze Age. People were drinking Lambrusco. This is like a pretty old school wine. And it's kind of amazing that it really didn't make it out of Italy until the 1970s, 1980s. And then there was all this bulk production, a ton of like cheap, bad wine being made. A lot of sweet Lambrusco came to the U.S., got a bad name. So nobody was drinking it then. And then only more recently in the last, I would say, 15 years has it come around to be able to find like small quality producers really making great wine. But one thing still is true in that there's tons of value in this wine. I mean, I hardly ever find a Lambrusco that's like crazy priced. You know, they are all more affordable. It's a sparkling wine. Red wine, could be rosé as well, higher in acid, low to medium tannin, and it can range from sweet to semi-sweet to dry. So there's a lot of styles. This is mostly Grasperosa. That's the variety that this is.
0: Can you remind everyone again what the wine is that we're drinking tonight?
1: Yes. This is the Opera 02, and and I don't think I said this in the beginning, but the name of the winery is Ca Montanari, which is not even really on this label, but it's the Opera 02 Lambrusco Secco from Lambrusco de Monena. So this is a secco, and as I was saying before, there's sweet... There's semi-sweet and then there's dry. The semi-sweet is either called semi-secco or amabile, and then the sweet is called dulce. But this is mostly Lambrusco Grasparosa, which is one of the more bold and dry varieties. And this is secco. It's completely dry. Should we do a tasting and then talk about the winery? Let's do it. Okay. We're going to do the tasting. I won't say what I think it's like, but it's really fun when you pour it because it's the color is super deep, dark purple, but then the bubbles are like this hot pink magenta layer. And if you pour it, when you first open it, it's really bubbly. And so there's kind of this just froth on the top. It's so pretty. I mean, when I swirl it, I get that magenta, creamy magenta top and that dark purple I can't even see through, can't see my ring. With sparkling wine, you can't really tell about the legs in the same way because you just see bubbles all around. With sparkling wine, it's more like we're looking at the perlage. we're looking at how fast the bubbles are coming up. And this is not like champagne, which is really, really bubbly. And it's not like a pet nat. It's a little bit, it's more bubbly than that. It's kind of in the middle. But when I swirl it, I definitely get that froth and bubbles coming up. Let's put our nose in there. Oh my gosh. Blueberry, cola, strawberries, and then rhubarb, wild blackberries. All super juicy fruits and that cola thing, too. How
0: are you getting wild blackberries versus store-bought blackberries?
1: Store-bought blackberries don't have any scent to them. How how are
0: you getting wild?
1: When you smell fruit that like wild strawberries or wild blackberries, they have almost like an electricity to them. Do you know what I mean? It's just so heightened, that nose. And they're really, really small. And so they're more fragrant. Okay, beyond the fruit violets. And then there's just this creaminess. I kind of get that strawberries and cream going back to the fruit because the fruit is just wild. Maybe black cherry also. There's also a tea element to this, like an herbal tea, like hibiscus tea or something. But mostly it's just fruity, fruity, fruity. nose. it smells like it's going to be sweet, right? Even though we can't smell sweet, that like intense fruitiness of it makes me think that. So let's taste it. We named so many fruits on the nose, but really on the palate, I get like intense cherry and rhubarb. Could be a cherry rhubarb jam, but like a tart jam, not a sweet jam. The fruit on the palate is more tart and crisp. I wouldn't say it's underripe, but it's like a little bit, just a little bit sour. Otherwise... Not much else. It's just that fresh fruitiness. I don't really taste that cream that we talked about on the nose or the violet. It's just fresh and fruity. Tannin is there. It's present. It's in the front of your mouth, but it's so, so pleasant. It's not interfering with the fruit at all. It's just kind of adding another layer of complexity. The acidity is high. I feel my my mouth watering and the fruit, it gives it that tartness, that that zing at the end. It's so, so pleasant, and it's absolutely dry. That's what's so enjoyable about it. It smells so fruity and sweet, and it tastes so dry, and it's light. It's super refreshing. That blueberry cola thing that it had on the nose, it does kind of feel like drinking a soda pop, you know? It makes so much sense that this is like a great pizza wine because... Sometimes you just want to have a Coke and a pizza, and this would be it.
0: You definitely get like an artisanal soda quality with this
1: because of all that fruitiness and it's bubbly just enough to be have something going on in your mouth but it's not overly bubbly at all it's just soft soft bubbles and this is made in the charmant method which is we talked in a couple episodes about different methods of making sparkling wine the charmant method is the same method that they use in prosecco where the second fermentation is in a tank so it doesn't retain as many bubbles, but it also doesn't have that intense yeasty character or complexity like the champagne method or traditional method. Now, some lambruscos are made in that method and some Ma- lambruscos are made in method ancestral, the same like a pet nap. But this is Charmant method and lots are made in the Charmont method. Oh my gosh, I'm just so in love with this wine.
0: We've said this before on a previous podcast that you know you and I don't go out of our way to drink red wine unless we're with you know a couple or a group. This feels like cheating in a way. It feels like we're drinking a sparkling wine that happens to be red. You know what I mean?
1: Yep, I'm in. It's delicious. So a little bit about this winery. The estate was started by the Montanari family in 2002, just outside Modena. They started just with five hectares. They wanted to make wine. They wanted to make vinegar. And it's grown to 45 acres now. And they have like a little bed and breakfast there, agriturismo. And if you look it up online, I mean, it is so picturesque. I cannot, I would just love to visit. It looks amazing unbelievable. And this family is just super dedicated to the farming. It's been organic from the beginning. They do biodynamic practices. They are no-till, so they're sequestering carbon in the soil, and they use solar power in the winery. So they're very, very eco-conscious. And this wine is super affordable, It's just fresh and easy. As I said before, it's mostly Grasparosa, the kind of Lambrusco that it is, which is usually darker and dry. And this is dry, but it's not so heavy and it doesn't have quite as much tannin as some Grasparosas do. I'm a fan.
0: You can drink Lambruscos all year round.
1: Absolutely. You can drink it in the winter because if you're a person who loves red wine but wants to have something festive and sparkling, this is a great choice. It's great in the summer because you want a red wine, but it's cold and refreshing. It's just a wine that's a category all its own, really.
0: Food pairings? What do you think?
1: I mean, I said it before, but pizza. Yeah, for sure. Kind of your everyday casual food. Pizza, hot dog, hamburger. This is a perfect wine. It's also great with charcuterie, something kind of like meaty or earthy. This like bright fruitiness just kind of cuts against that. It's also a not an expensive wine and not a super serious wine. So it's great for something casual. Now, I had Lambrusco, I don't know, probably years ago at an Italian restaurant and didn't think anything of it. Was it Olive Garden? Yeah, I think it was. No, I've had it over the years, but my memory of it, of having a great Lambrusco, something that was tasty and special was when we were in New York for Magic Bird, the play that you were in on Broadway in two thousand. 12. I was working at a little restaurant in the West Village. And after I got off work, there was a wine bar around the corner that on Tuesday nights had industry night. And what was the name of that wine bar? That wasn't Lartusi, but it was... Amphora. Oh yeah, Amphora. And they had a great Lambrusco by the glass. I think I got it every week and it was a hot, hot summer. And I got like a cheese plate and that, and it was just... That I mean, was it. That's my me- that is my memory of Lambrusco. That's
0: incredible. You indulging by yourself at Enfora with Lambrusco and a cheese plate. It's pretty special, <laughs> especially in a time now where <laughs> restaurants are just you know struggling to survive. I think it's important for all of us to think of those like great times that we had at restaurants. Maybe that's another episode we'll have in the future. Is, is us just reminiscing about like the great experiences we've had at great restaurants. Um. Yes. So you mentioned charcuterie, uh, and we mentioned New York. So places where we can go get a Lambrusco. and I think we actually had. We told my sister, who lives in Richmond, about a Great Lambrusco. So there are Great Lambruscos out within the country. How did you recommend telling our listeners to go out and find a Great Lambrusco?
1: First of all, if they have one, ask for a Lambrusco. There's nothing else. It's just its own category. Just remember, secco is dry, say is sweet. Okay, so think about that when you're going to get a Lambrusco. You could also get uh, get something that's a rosé. You could get something on the lighter side, or you could get something on the meatier side. But most times, a wine store is going to have one, maybe two. You're not going to have a ton of choices. So try it out. See what it is. Ask them.
0: So if you're looking for a nice sparkler or a chilled red, give a Lambrusco a shot. And as we continue to drink this bottle, I just want to turn the, the conversation to a slight cheers. That's not like a Notre Dame bell. <laughs> a slight cheers to you and subsequently to me by proxy for celebrating the fifth year, five year anniversary of Esther's being open. Celebrated on July thirtieth of this year. So I just want to spend the next few minutes getting your thoughts on what it's been like owning and operating a restaurant slash wine store, or wine bar for five years. What do you think?
1: Well, five years in real life is like 35 years in the restaurant business. So I'm pretty excited. And I think, honestly, if it weren't for COVID, I might have glossed over this. I might have thought, oh, gosh, but, you know, we don't have this perfect and that area is still unorganized and I got this problem and this problem and yay, it's been five years. But COVID has sort of put a stop to all that thinking and I am just so, so grateful that we are open and that we are doing this and really, really proud of that. I'm so grateful to the amazing customers that have kept us alive and come regularly to get their favorite bottles or to sit on the patio and have become part of the Esters family. And I'm really just completely full of gratitude and not worrying about the small stuff that I wish were better. And that's been one of the joys of having such an intense, hard time. So it has been long and hard, but I'm really grateful.
0: 100% agree with that statement. So now if you'll allow me to zoom out and ask what it's been like to have Esther's be open for five years, you mentioned something that I want to touch on, which was like, the small stuff not being done or things kind of piling up on you that's one experience i have from opening esters was i remember when we opened esters we still had things to do or things to paint and it became so hard to do that once we opened so that my advice to people who are out there looking to open a restaurant is like do as much as you can before you open because once you open you're real and you start to chase those things on your to-do list and they almost never get done i mean i remember there are things that we were trying to get done once we opened that we'd almost never got to case in point if you guys ever go to Esther's and you sit on the patio there's a wall that basically is made of wood that is like a signpost for the end of the patio that was like a makeshift temporary wall we were trying to build something else but we ran out of time and that wall never got built so that wall is what we made like this makeshift wall has become the wall so once we opened it was like well that's gone so that's something that I always think about as things, as people look to open their own places, it's like, try to get done before people start coming in because yeah, you might not get to that.
1: Well, you, you forget a week in or two weeks in, you're not even thinking about that. You're hosting a party every night. The thing you're thinking about is hosting that party. You know, you're not thinking about, oh my gosh, like I got to get that fence redone outside. I mean, you are, but it's like 50th on your to-do list. And it's just not going to happen. I think, you know, something different about opening the restaurant is like you're doing it every night. It keeps going. You know, it's not like a wedding where you're like, oh, let's prepare for our wedding. Let's invent it. It's beautiful. It's one night and then it's over. Nope. It's every single night. And so the beautiful thing is you have the chance to redo it tomorrow. You know, you have a chance to make it better all the time. And that's exciting. And you have a chance to let it ebb and flow, let try new things, let it organically grow into something, whatever the customers really want it to be. but it's not going to stop.
0: That's an issue that you had frankly, for a while because you said one thing that I, I'm used to is you know having been an actor in your past, doing plays, there's a finite run to things. or you're on TV and you shoot something and it's done. And or, the fact that you have to kind of, or like a wedding, you plan it and then it's over. Or right? if
1: I'm I'm writing a li- wine list for one of the other restaurants, I work on the wine list, I build it, I it do all the like work to set it up, and then I give it a, a training, and then I give it away. And then it's like, that project is complete. But that is so, so not a restaurant. And you know what? In that way, it is like... You know, some people talk about restaurants being like You know, like a kid. It's true. It's you think it's going to be one way. You set it up. You have a vision. It turns into something else. It ends up having its own identity, and it just keeps going. It's not done.
0: We talked about that. I don't think we talked about that on the podcast before, but between offline, between you and I, we talked about that a bunch. It's sort of. For sure. One major question that we talked about when we opened Esters is, you know, we have ideals that we want to uphold at Esther's. And for the most part, we do. But there are some compromises that, that come with, like, the vision that you have for the restaurant. Like, the dream that you hold in your brain quickly changes when customers come, when the market comes and says, we, yeah, we, you know, you know what we're not going to do? We're not going to sell a tequila beverage or whatever. Everyone wants tequila. You start selling a tequila cocktail. <laughs> or let's go light on Sauvignon Blanc. Everyone wants Sauvignon Blanc? You find Sauvignon Blanc. That's just something that we kind of learn as we go on. Exactly. Right?
1: And you do it in the way that you still have in- integrity. Right. You know? You have the tequila that you believe in. You have Sauvignon Blancs that come from vineyards that are farmed the way you believe in. From winemakers that are small that, that you have a passion for what they're doing. You know? But you still want to like provide all the things that people want from your place.
0: And not everyone does that. I mean, you, we talked about those um, restaurants in New York where some people build lists. I'm thinking of that that one restaurant in Brooklyn where they just had a Shannon and Pinot list, which is great for people in the wine industry because that's what they love. But if you come in with people night after night asking for you know, Sauvignon Blanc or Chardonnay or something. You know, you know, you gotta find something that's the that, Well gonna... yeah,
1: there are bars like that too, yeah. like really, really cool tiki bar. They're probably not gonna have a vodka soda. You know, or whatever. You can't get a vodka. But you just decide, I guess, what's what, well, that's way what you're we that's
0: what do we it. wanted to do. It's like we want we want people to come we want people to come in and have have a great time. So we'll find a way to make it work that also feels like it feels authentic to what we do.
1: Exactly. I want to be able to be flexible and accommodate and find wonderful things that people love while still holding on to my own ideals.
0: Any lasting images? First thing that comes to your mind when you think of the five years you've spent at Esther's, is there a story, is there an image, is there a regret? What comes to your mind when you think of five years of opening a restaurant or running a restaurant?
1: Well, I don't, not necessarily five years but I still get that warm good feeling when I walk in the space I'm really really happy with the work that we did with Una Ryan our architect at the beginning and every single time I walk in there I feel like so happy to be in that space even if the paint is chipping on the bar or there's boxes everywhere or you know We need to rearrange everything because we don't have indoor dining. The bones of that place are so special to me. And gosh, just that big chandelier will do it to me every time.
0: That's one thing I think about a lot during our five years. The chandelier, of course, which we bought, I believe, at Big Daddy's in Culver City. You and I went to about six or seven different flea markets in Long Beach, Santa Monica, the Rose Bowl, looking for stuff that's still in the space. We went to antique stores, I Wanna say Cleveland Goods and Big Daddy's and other places. That that was really fun. That was like an eye opening experience, a way to see LA that I've not seen before or since going to watch going to these places, bartering for things. That was really, really a fun moment in the planning and designing of Estras.
1: It was awesome. The whole opening was so intense and so much time and everything here or there. I mean, I'm so grateful that we did not have kids at that time. That's one thing I would recommend to <laughs> future <laughs> People opening restaurants, which that's going to be, I mean, at least now is so daunting. But I would say either do it when your kids are a little older or do it when you don't have kids. If you have super young kids, it's just so hard if you're a couple for both of you to be able to be there and do it together with your full attention. So I'm grateful that we were able to like devote that time because it was really, it required all of our attention and... So much time and late, late nights and early mornings, which you just don't have when you have kids.
0: No. So five years of Esther's, we're being completely honest when we say we don't know, we, we think we have some runway, but one never knows how long these places are going to be open. So we, we're trying hard. Right. And we-, right. We're, and we
1: we're not in control of that. Yeah, and we appreciate everyone supporting us.
0: That. <laughs> but we do not know and no no restaurant knows. I think restaurants would be lying to you if they told you they feel confident about going into the future of the next year. or So, but we look back positively. We look back with optimism and we look back with a lot of warm fuzzy feelings. So, and that and a lot of that as Catherine said earlier comes from those of you who support us, supported Esters and support all small businesses, local businesses throughout the country and throughout the world. We appreciate you all as we try to give some great hospitality. This has been a moment where we feel inspired by you know working at Esters, and I want to transition to the final part of the night, which is what has been inspiring us this week. I'm going to keep it very simple, and it's the NBA bubble. Now there are some. How is that simple? That's well said. It's not simple for the people that are running it, but it's simple for the viewer who gets to watch games, NBA basketball games, throughout the day, and there's no. COVID-positive tests in the bubble. The bubble is working. That's what it's telling us. Where there has been some issues and some breakouts in baseball where where players are traveling and there's not a real bubble. In basketball, it's basically like a a camp for those that are in there. You know, they're at Disney World. They're playing games during the daytime. It's like an AAU camp for those who have any idea what basketball is like when you're kind of in the high school ages. And it's been a lot of fun just to kind of... It's been the break that I've been looking for when I'm watching two kids... For multiple hours in a day, when one goes on a nap, I'm able to turn on the television and watch LeBron or someone else play basketball for two hours. And actually, it's it's so intimate because they do pump some audio in there, but there's no fans. So you're able to hear conversations on the court and... It's just really been fun. I think they've done a really good job, and uh, you know, there's some hot takes out there that, that I almost agree with, saying it's almost more enjoyable than games where there are big fans there because you get to be a, you feel like you're more part of this game. It's almost like you're, it's like a voyeur quality to these games. So that's my inspiration of the week. NBA, glad to have some sports back where everyone's feeling confident about being safe and socially distanced and tested well. So uh, that's cool. Catherine, what do you have?
1: Well, along the lines of what we we're talking about tonight about how really kind of special it is to still be open, to have been open for five years, I have been inspired by some major, major people who've had to close their restaurants recently. This week, Chef Ray Garcia of Broken Spanish in downtown LA closed after being open for five years. Chef Joseph Centeno closed Baco Mercat, also downtown restaurant. He's a fantastic chef. Multiple locations or multiple concepts downtown and Culver City. They're all awesome. Lienta, a couple weeks ago, closed. Tears looking at you. An amazing restaurant that we had the pleasure of dining at a few years ago and the way that these chefs and restaurateurs are opening up and sharing all their emotions and the story of their restaurant and just how everything kind of happened and being open about that on social media has been inspiring and heartbreaking and just really opening my eyes to the family and the art and all the customers that love these places. And I don't know that all these people have been super inspiring. And it started with Gabrielle Hamilton who wrote an amazing piece for the New York Times Magazine, I think, in April about closing Prune, restaurant staple in New York City after 20 years. And uh, that was an incredibly eloquent piece. But just talking about the life of a restaurant and all those people have been so inspiring to me this week. And I'm thinking about them a lot. And I am saying to all of you and to myself, go to the places that you love because they might not be here tomorrow.
0: Here, here. All right, that's it. Episode 43 is in the books. That's episode 43 of The Long Finish. Thank you to everyone for continuing to listen to our show. As I mentioned earlier, if you have a chance to rate, review, or subscribe to our show, we would love that. Um, We have a couple of great interviews coming up with some fun guests in store, a couple of other fun surprises coming up in the next few weeks. Really excited about what we're doing in August and September, so stay tuned for that. Catherine, where can they find you and The Long Finish on social media?
1: find me at Catherine Weill Coker on Instagram and Facebook and The Long Finish at The Long Finish on Instagram and
0: Facebook. You can find The Long Finish on Twitter at TLF Pod. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Tug Coker. Everyone, thank you again for listening to the show. Go out and have a great week. Be safe, be healthy, practice social distancing and happy drinking.
1: Ciao.